Um, we have been in a teaching series called, Is It Worth It? The Discipline of Church in a Post-Pandemic World. And the plan for the next couple weeks is to actually kind of wind that teaching series down. Then we're going to head into Advent and take a season around the key elements of Advent as we push to Christmas. The plan, though it's not 100% tied up, we will know this week, but the plan is to have a Christmas Eve gathering in this room, which is going to be great and really meaningful. And, uh, and then we'll be into the new year, which is crazy. And, you know, we've just been simply kind of putting it all on the table. You know this if you've been around. We've just been putting it on the table. Is the church, post everything we've seen in a shifting culture in Canada the last 20 or 30 years, and then this thing, a global pandemic that has shut the world down and really disoriented us around people and relationships and community and what community is, is it worth it? Uh, in 20, 2015, uh, I made some claims I got up on the bright lights of the Wolf Performance Hall on a vision morning, maybe some of you were there, and I just made some declarations, not gospel truth, not from the, like the Bible per se, but just things that I had seen and had been experiencing as a pastor in a church plant, and like a post-Christian, in, in many senses, even a post-secular world, as uh, things were just shifting uh, left and right. I made some assertions, one, church communities would probably in the future be smaller in size, but I had this hunch that though they would be smaller in size in the future, they would be bigger in impact, that actually creative minorities, communities that actually know each other, that don't just go and maybe watch, and this is, I gotta be careful because I don't wanna be disparaging to anything or anybody, but don't just go and watch a performance or some person talk for 50 minutes and then go home. More than just that, though teaching and all that is important, that these communities would have deep impact because of the interweb of relationships, disciples together that are just journeying together. And I just had a sense that though that seemed to be the future, probably what would come with that is a little bit of church communities being smaller. I also was sensing that there would probably be less financial resources in the church as things shifted. But I also felt like there'd be a greater sense of stewardship and creativity. And this was actually part of our own story as well. A number of years ago, we just, even I as the leader here, just began to start to ask questions around how we can steward ourselves. And let me just say, the last two years since like launching this practice has been unbelievable. The amount of justice work we've partnered with locally and across the world, the, the budget that we have here to live simply and be generous has been wonderful. We started asking questions a number of years ago. It was always funny running into people because people would ask us about our, our church or they'd hear I'm a church planter or I started a church and they would ask like, so like where's your church expecting me to give them a building? And, and I don't think people meant it intentionally but it was kind of like, the posture kind of was, well are you really a real church if you don't have your own building like in real estate? But we began to ask questions like, can we have like state-of-the-art building, like look around, which would take us, one time I calculated, I think 140 years to pay, like what we pay in rent, that's how many years we would have the building if it was to have a mortgage, if that makes sense, to pay down the, like, like astronomical amounts of money in real estate. And we're like, could we be this subversive community that tries to do things as good as we can and as well as we can on Sundays, but not be burdened with heavy bills. And it let us, we don't have an office, we travel pretty light. And it was kind of this connection and, and point in our, I think, community to think that 
there potentially in the church as a whole may be less resources, but what could we do to steward these things? And it's been wonderful. The other thing was this, I was thinking as we were thinking about the future of the church, is that probably the posture would be that many would buy into a secular worldview, that you could just sense it. Um, I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but I've had probably more, this may be a downer, I don't mean it as this at all, I've probably had more conversations in Practice Church in City View over these 10 years of people sitting with me and leaving the faith than what has been baptized in this church. And, you know, when you start a church 10 years ago, you're like, you want, to, you want to see God move and you're excited and you kind of go into the world and want to see God move? Absolutely, and it's been a beautiful, beautiful story, but I've had more conversations with people that have like, said, it's not you, but I'm just, I'm not into this thing. I don't know if I buy it. But as I sensed the shift towards that, I also sensed that those who would be committed to the ways of Jesus, it was going to be punk rock. That something out of this was going to be like those who actually make the commitment to join in on this subversive kind of countercultural community, though it may be smaller, that it was going to change the world. I just had this sense. And don't, please hear me, I don't say those things lightly about the people walking away, but I do sense, and I've sensed even since COVID, that those people who are in, it's just the spirit and the life in this place the last six weeks has been unreal. Like, Heather and I have just been beaming week in and week out, just the vibe in the community. Those who are in are in. And then the fourth thing that I had just been sensing, and this, again, again, this is six years ago, over six years ago now, was that the church would continue to be transient and mobile, that with iPhones and, you know, working at home, this was before COVID, the, and obviously the technology that we have, video conferencing, all of that, that things would be just very, very mobile and the church would face that, but the church would actually be best and most effective when it's local and when it's faithfully present together that that would kind of be the punk rock spirit, kind of the push against the machine that would say, well, we can be anywhere at all times and have information at all times. I sense that what would really kind of ground the church would be this, we are together, um, living uh, faithfully present in a place and space as a community together. And I would say over the last six years, much of this has actually come to the surface. A lot of this has come to the surface. It's not like a, I told you so, but like there's just, a, you could just sense this. And now this thing called COVID-19 has hit and many of these realities have been before us, transient and mobile, the rethinking of technology and the reshaping of the world as we know it. So what does this all mean for us? I think one thing you've noticed over these weeks is we've just been trying to talk about things that a lot of times the church doesn't talk about. And I think as we talk about future church and the church of the future, we look at you know, five or six years ago and what we talked about, there's one really key important thing that I think will mark the church of the future and its faithfulness. You know, one of the things I think we're going to realize over the next number of years is that the New Testament church is as close to us as it's ever been. And what I mean by that is you have this very, again, I've used the word subversive like four times. I think in preacher school, they tell you not to reuse words. I've already said it like four or five times. My apologies. Oh, you should get a real pastor or something, right? Somebody knows what they're doing. My apologies. But you think about this kind of countercultural group in the first century who was trying to sort it out, right? Like trying to sort out. Sometimes we read our Bibles and it can be easy to like either kind of glorify or idealize, idolize, sorry, the early church. 
you've got to remember, this community of people is trying to figure it out. They're very close to the resurrection of Jesus. And they're living this out in very small, marginal communities around the ancient Mediterranean. House churches. In Corinth, we hear of people meeting in the triclinium and the atrium, and there's conflict, and they're eating together, the primary worship services around a meal. And just the spirit of the first century church, the New Testament church, I think is as close to us as ever. All the shifting Christendom is done, and in some ways that's sad, in other ways that's good. It's, it's both and, I think, and we can talk about that another time. But I think one of the things we've got to wrestle through is just how important I think actually the scriptures have always been in their authority, obviously, but how the story of the first century church is very close to us now in our own posture to the world. Certainly we don't have Nero or Caliglia over us. You don't have to bow your knee right now in the Agora. Like you don't have to go to no frills and bow your knee to Caesar or Justin Trudeau. At least not yet. I'm just joking. I'm not political at all, okay? So don't, I don't bend any, don't, don't send me emails. Email Heather or something. She'll love that. That's great, okay? Um, but like obviously we're not at a place in space like that. We have obviously our freedoms. But the first century church's story is very close. Listen to what Paul says. If you have a Bible, you want to open it with me. I just want to read from Ephesians 4. This is what Paul says. As a prisoner for the Lord, verse 1, then, I urge you, he says, to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. To live a life worthy. This calling is to be lived into. You're saved by the grace of Jesus, and now the, the call that Paul is giving to the church in Ephesus is live into that. Nothing you can do outside of receiving it and living into it. And then, it's interesting how all of these calls around salvation are always kind of characterized by action, by movement. Listen to verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Come on, somebody. Be patient. Can you say that word with me? Patient? Patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one bit body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Be completely humble and gentle and be patient. Now, we often view patience as a very individual thing. It is a fruit of the Spirit, and evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is actually pa patience, which some of you are like, no, right? Like, you think about your own life and your own character and, you know, the, the way you're living this out, and patience can obviously be a difficult thing. One thing we don't often talk about, though, is that collectively, this was to a church community, not just individuals, but patience is actually a way in which is something actually the church embodies collectively together. Now think about it. Think about kind of the modern missions movement of the last 120 years or so through the 20th century, the 21st century. It's been pretty phonetic. In culture, in technology, everything we've seen the last, uh, you know, 120 years, there has been a real uh, charge and increase in getting the gospel to all people. And is that a good thing? That's amazing. You have the frontiers like uh, Billy Graham and some of these uh, missionaries and, and, and evangelists that would go and fill stadiums and rooms of people. There was actually just an event here recently in London where there was like kind of a festival and people were invited to come and hear the good news of Jesus. And while none of that is wrong, it's just fascinating how we've had this season and at times it hasn't overly felt patient. 
There's nothing wrong with inviting people into hearing the good news of Jesus, obviously. But I think one of the postures of the early church was their, they were a patient community. In all our efforts over the last number of years, especially in the church planting movements of trying to draw people in, it's fascinating that the first century community, there's actually scholars that would talk about this. A great guy named Alan Kreider, Anabaptist scholar, who I, I very much appreciate, basically said that the early church, they met in secret because of the threat of persecution over them, and the church just freaking grew in every way. All over the ancient Mediterranean, this group often met in secret in homes, and it wasn't, it wasn't a public gathering, and yet it exploded across the world, the known world at the time. And patience was a marker of the early church. Again, Kreider says this. He says that patience is a number of things, especially when we look at the early church. Patience is rooted in God's character. He says that God is patient, working exonerably across the centuries to accomplish his mission, and in the fullness of time has disclosed himself in Jesus Christ. He goes on, the heart of patience is revealed in the incarnation of Jesus. Think about that for a second. Jesus' life and his teachings demonstrate what patience means and beckon those who follow him to a patient lifestyle which participates in God's mission. You ever, you ever ask the question, why didn't God just like come and do it like in one swoop? Like why, why give of himself slowly in flesh and blood from, remember, I was saying to the guys on Friday night that the best is the language, I think that, I think it's all the gospels use around uh, Jesus coming from Nazareth, like the backwoods, like Nazareth, could anything come from this place? And yet it's the savior of the world. This slow, patient move into the course of human history. Why didn't it happen right after the, the fall with Adam and Eve, right? You look at the corresponding story that we're caught up in and you realize that this is a patient story. It wasn't done in just one swoop, and here we are in between the times following Jesus, and do you ever just kind of some days wake up and go, Jesus, would you just come and renew this world? Any, anybody have children? <laughs> that was funny, no? I'm just saying, like, yeah, anybody have these moments in your lives where you're just like, God, you need to come. We still live patiently in these times. God could have done it in one swoop, but God's character and nature is patient. Kreider goes on, patient is not human control. I love this. People who live a patient lifestyle trust God and do not try to manip manipulate outcomes. They live, uh, they live richly. I love that. They don't try and manipulate, right? Patience is not in a hurry. Patient Christians live at the pace that's given to them by God, accepting incompleteness and waiting. Patience, he says, is not violent. It accepts injury without re retaliating in kind because violence is not God's calling to them and cannot bring fundamental change. Patience gives religious freedom, he says. It does not compel religious beliefs and observances. And that, this is, what's, again, I think what was amazing about this first century church, not trying to cram it down people's throats, but living in a very, I mean, even Paul, who we know, they would call him the third culture kid because obviously he was Jewish and was at like the highest place in Jewish teaching as a rabbi. He had Roman citizenship, which meant he had all the rights and freedoms to the Roman Empire, and he spoke the street language of the day, Koine Greek. This was a guy who lived this type of, type of life out. There was much 
much religious freedom in that sense as far as the Roman Empire. And yes, Christians were persecuted at times. But at times, through different Caesars, there was tremendous freedom to worship whatever you wanted as long as you bowed your knee to Caesar. Crater goes on, patience is hopeful. It entrusts the future confidently to God. I think this is actually one of the things that I think will really mark very faithful, and I, I, when I say good, I mean it in the best sense. Good churches in the future is a community of patience. Not trying to coerce or trying to manipulate, but a community of people that follows God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and a community of people that's patient. It isn't just an individual virtue. It should very much be a virtue of the church of the future. That we slow down and we live together in community and we be this reflection of God to the world. And that isn't always easy in a very fast-paced world. Listen, you came here this morning. There's lots of churches, communities, different things you could be doing right now. But one of the things I think that will mark a really good church down the road is being a patient people. A people that is given opportunity and place and space to live out the story of God together. You with me? I like how Michael Gorman says that the church performs the gospel as a living commentary on it. It lives the story. It embodies the story. It tells the story. And it doesn't just happen overnight. Good communities, it takes time together. It takes patience. You with me? This, I think, is going to be very important for the future of the church, that we slow down and we live into each other and into the ways of Jesus. Now, a few months ago, and I've talked about this, okay, a little bit, so bear with me. Um, I think I talked a little bit about this at our 10-month kind of anniversary deal, and many of you weren't there because uh, many, <clears throat> many of you have just kind of joined in since we've been regathering. But a number of months ago, uh, author and Anglican priest Tish Warren who I'm sure some of you, again, have read her book, The Liturgy of Ordinary, she tweeted this. I always think about my grandpa when I use the word tweeted because I'm just like, what would he think in a world right now that like something tweeted would actually have authority or like we'd be talking about it in church anyways. He'd be like, yeah, anyways, he'd think that's funny. She said this, the fact is, I think Christianity in America needs to be willing to grow much smaller, deeper, quieter, and weirder. She says, I think the, the world we know it as the, the Christian church in America, and I think this applies to Canada as well, is that we grow smaller, deeper, quieter, and weirder. Now, I know some of you were there, but I just, I want to talk about these things just for two minutes before we come to the table, just as a reflection on what I think it means actually to be patient. I think what she's saying here is absolutely the marker for the church of the future. And I also think it really ties into what it means to be a patient community. Because I have not been able to shake this since I read it, and I actually really agree with her. The church needs to become smaller. Now, in no way is this an idealization, idolization of small church. There are people like that, that like to take shots at the big church, and now all of a sudden the, the small church is kind of cool, and vice versa. I know churches that are small that are very, very healthy, and I know churches that are small that are very unhealthy, all right? I know churches that are big that are very, very healthy. I have friends and communities with vast amounts of people, and their posture and the way they lead it is very healthy. I also know of big churches, I'm sure you do too, that are very, very toxic in the way in which they function and move. 
There's, this is not about demonizing a particular style or type of church, but I do think what Warren says is very interesting for the future. The church, I do think, if we're going to do this in the future, needs to be smaller in its patience, in its living this out together. Do you, do you hear her language? She talks about the church growing smaller. I think one of the things that, and this is wonderful with the shift of COVID, is gone are the days of being a part of something where you are not in relationship with other people. I love the fact that the shaking through COVID has really, for most of us, got us to evaluate what's meaningful and beautiful in our lives. And I love the fact that one of the things I think that's the future is just smaller communities together uh, practicing the way of Jesus together. And I, I love that because I think what's going to happen is those that are really truly disciples are going to step into this type of community and live it out together, that there's going to be a sense of growing smaller. Now, that, that doesn't mean we don't want more people to come. This is a public space. We would love for people to come, but it's just that posture towards everything that we do, gearing not just a, a, a big event like this, but drawing people into smaller, deeper relationships together. And with that, I've, I hear oftentimes people talk about the preferred size of church that they'd like, and it's interesting how more and more discussion is around maybe smaller communities. We need also at the same time to temper our expectations. Now, I can say this from a posture because this really hasn't come up in our own community, but to be a smaller, integrated community doing life together, sometimes we have to temper our expectations with maybe what we've had in the past. It takes a lot to run a public gathering like this. It takes time and energy, and we need to watch that. But I do believe that the future is beautiful when we talk about the church growing smaller. We need, as a community, to continually be drawn together. A couple weeks ago, I talked about how there's kind of been this debate of whether we should turn towards each other in the public gathering. Like, aren't our gatherings for God? Like, shouldn't we be focused on God? And I am just bought into this idea that part, the, de the depths of our worship, part of our worship is turning towards each other. And so we need to think about growing smaller, but we also need to think about growing deeper. More than just like slogans of how we're gonna change the world, should be a longing for disciples to grow in the way of Jesus. And what we want to do here is we want to create a place where people can grow. Um, I often say to people, when you read Matthew chapter 7, there's this one Greek word that continually comes up over and over. It's the word poieo, where we get the word practice or do. Literally, Jesus says to his disciples that the ones that do my my will that do or practice or bear good fruit, that's another way of translating it, are the ones that are my followers. And so we want to create a place that actually gives an opportunity, and I think this is the church of the future, where we can grow deep and we can turn to each other and we can wrestle through uh, questions and doubts. I think having empathy for each other as we turn in, even in areas and, and thing, over things that we may disagree on, the church needs to grow deeper. So it needs to grow smaller. It needs to grow deeper. Then she says the church needs to grow quieter. I think if we all agreed, this has been an interesting uh, disoriented season through COVID. And a lot of people have been loud. Can we just, can I get an amen on that one? Like if you're on social media, anybody else on social media, 
this has just been the most bizarre, mo- like, I like to go on Twitter to, like, put out, like, maybe a little the- theological jab or th- idea here or there and to check, like, the leaf score, right? And it has become a pool of, well, you just, you just know if you're on there, how, I mean, it's just fascinating, you know, like, in the late 90s to early 2000s, if you wanted your ideas to be heard, you had to do this crazy subversive thing. What did you have to do? You had to publish something right? If you wanted your ideas to be heard, you basically had to publish an article or write a book. And there was a process in place that tested that and kind of to its end, those ideas were heard. Now you can just like pull out your phone right now and say the guy up front who's talking is a loser. And then you get like a hundred likes and you're like, what's going on? Uh, Why is this happening to me, right? The world has changed dramatically. And I do think amongst all the polarization and ideologies in our world, the one thing that's going to make the church beautiful in the future is communities that are integrated together and they live it out quietly. Hear what I said? Quietly. Now, that does not mean that we do not bring our doubts. It does not mean that sometime you'll sit around my kitchen table and we will have maybe even disagreements, but there will be a deep sense of empathy and love for one another. Uh, My fear right now, and I've talked to many of you about this, uh, and so many people agree that in a world where everything is instant and it's instant gratification and in a moment where it's instant information, everything at times, and you've even, we've even seen this through COVID, it can just, everything can be blown out of proportion. And I sense that the church, amongst all that it's seen and experienced with being loud, but also COVID being a season of scandal, like crazy scandal, like from our greatest apologist, Ravi Zacharias, all the way down to megachurch leaders, like, I'm a Hillsong guy, went to Hillsong, to Carl Lentz, and all the way down, just ministries and people exploding. Maybe it's time for the church just to kind of quiet down, slow down, be patient, and understand that the way of Jesus takes time, right? Everybody has a voice right now in our, in, in our world, which is amazing, but it's going to take actually local, rooted people living out the ways of Jesus, and that may be just doing things quieter. The early church met in secret under persecution, and they just seemed to do okay. Are you with me? Sometimes we think we've got to get everybody in and be loud. I think we've had that opportunity. If you saw your, if you're like me, you saw over these years, this last couple of years, where we've been home a lot, just the gospel has gotten out there. People have tweeted, and Grandpa, I think of you again, and shared, and it, you know, the, the videos and the audio and the podcasting and everything has been put before people. Now it's, a t- now it's our time to live into this quietly. And then fourth, she says weirder, which I absolutely love. That the church community should be this community in the future where it grows smaller and it grows deeper and quieter, but it also grows weirder. Now some of you, again, and I said this back in May or whenever we talked about this, some of you are like, oh, don't worry, Christians are weird. I already know this, right? You're like, I, I get it. Some of you are in therapy like me, just kind of wrestling through your childhood and in the church and stuff. I'm just joking, that's not true. But, um, you know, you wrestle through these things and, and you know this. But I think what she's saying is absolutely true. That in all of our efforts over the last hundred years or more in North America to see the church grow and expand, it has been very easy just to kind of have a Jesus version of everything else the world does, right? Just like we're going to do everything the same. 
I even know myself, one of the things, and it's just the way I'm wired, I've always just had a top priority of making people feel comfortable. Like when you come in here, I want you to feel comfortable and I want it to feel, and there's nothing wrong with that and I don't think that will ever change. But I think we do have to grapple and wrestle through the subversity of what we're doing. We're just a peculiar people. We do some crazy stuff. We commit our lives to each other. We carve out time. We sing songs, we turn our chairs in, we come to the table, we hold each other accountable, we hug each other, we I mean, you know, in COVID, whenever, you, know, you can hug each other now, I don't really care. Um, you can, we love each other, we lay our lives down for each other. You know, over the years of even in this community, when dark time, dark, from darkest times that come to when babies are born, there's meals at the door, gift cards in the mail. We are these people that give every square inch of our lives to a community, and that is weird. And sometimes we've been um, kind of categorized by maybe particular beliefs as being weird, and there's part of that. We, part of the story is a virgin birth and, and a savior that came and in a Roman world where it seemed foolishness laid his life down in self-sacrificial love. We're caught into a story where that Messiah rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. We're caught in a story that has a particular way in which Jesus' followers live with their money, their time, their bodies, their sexuality. I just often think of all that we've tried to do to try and like see the church, I'm talking just like in North America as a whole, all that we've done to try and see this thing move forward, sometimes we forget to embrace our weirdness, our uniqueness. I think Lee called it last week when we were kind of turned in and we were just chatting about this, that we are called to be this peculiar, holy people. And what does that mean? It means, brothers and sisters, that you and I may just come across a little weird. And we may just have to be prepared with that. To grow deeper, to grow smaller, to grow quieter, to grow weirder. I think when you talk about a prophecy, the prophetic for our day, this is it. Now I'll close with this. There's nothing like the local church. There is nothing like the, the patient church. And here's what's different about the church. You know this. Things come and go, right? You know this? So I'm caught right now in this cult of like minor hockey and youth sports and everybody's just trying to achieve and get to the next thing and move on. But it's funny. I also right now play on Tuesday nights and Friday nights and Heather's not here sometimes Thursday nights too. Guys that have gone through the ranks, played junior hockey, played in the AHL, guys that have played in the NHL before. And I just get thinking, here we are on a Friday night, and guess what? At some point, there's an expiry to that. And so, at some point, it comes to an end. At some point, you're playing hockey with me, right? Like, that's depressing when you think about, like, poor, this guy played in the NHL, and now you're sitting beside me in the room. Sorry, buddy, but it's... Uh, I can still dangle around you a little bit, right, Kev? You know that. You know that. You got my back. But I think about all these areas of, that have an end. That have an end. Sure, you may play till you're older, but you think about the dreams and the desires and getting towards something. The church is the one thing, one thing, that think about it. 10, 20, 30, 40, how many ever years it is as we see our kids. Many of you that have kids, you see them grow up. It is a, when it's a patient community, it is something we will do until Jesus comes and renews all things. 
It is that one constant thing that doesn't run out. It's that one thing that if you're a follower of Jesus and a disciple, we do this forever until he comes. And even that mindset change, just to change that, to look at other things and compare it, the church is beautiful because it calls us into this patient way of we will do this forever. There's not an expiry date on this. There's like, there's not, hopefully, there's not like broken dreams around this of trying to get somewhere because it's this, this faithful community together that's just continually practicing the way of Jesus together. Be patient. Guys, Jesus is coming back. I'm bought in on this. But in the meantime, amongst all we've seen and experienced, COVID and even before, the call is to be patient, to slow down, to take a deep breath, to live in community with each other, to be patient. Um, so with that said, why don't you do this? Take two minutes. I didn't even plan to do this. The team is going to come, but why don't you just turn to somebody around you? What do you think? What do you think? Take a minute. What do you think? Take a second. Chat for a second.